0: Green Visions, Green Ideas. So, hello everyone. This is Cassie Fischer and um, this podcast is, as usual, supported by, by allgoodspeakers.com. My guest today is David Ireland, uh, who we invite here for the second time. Um, D- David is um, both an academic and an entrepreneur, and he has a, actually a couple of businesses that he, is, he has founded. Uh, last time we talked about Radiant Energy, uh, which is an uh, ele- uh, electricity company that he founded, um, and today we want to talk about um, one of his consulting companies. It's called Asymmetric Innovation, and uh, it helps people um, make sustainable decisions, basically. So, um, welcome, David. Nice that you you are back here.
1: Thanks for having me back, Kirsten. <laughs>
0: Yeah, do you want to tell us a little bit about Asymmetric Innovation? What kind of company is this?
1: Yeah, sure. So, Asymmetric Innovation was started after um, a trip back from Africa a few years ago, and uh, it was the, the project was in Africa was was a project uh, that was trying to come up with a with a product uh, to help uh, people in uh, slums in Africa. Uh, get better nutrition. It was a a nutrition product. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that really struck me, I had spent a little bit of time in in different slums in different parts of Africa in other projects in the lead up to that. But this particular project, really uh, what really struck me was the amount of time and the amount of money and the amount of effort that consultancies and big organisations from around the world put into products and services that they then drop into markets without spending any time really getting to understand the people in that market. And so it was, you know, it basically what you, what I saw over there was essentially a museum of failed Western interventions. And it was just really sad, just the amount of time and effort and money that was spent not actually achieving any help or any impact for these people. Mm -hmm. And so I I came back from that trip and um, with a couple of other uh, colleagues, we set up this business called asymmetric innovation and The intent of asymmetric innovation is really to um, take a a strong human-centered design approach uh, that's mixed together with with really cutting-edge innovation and technical capabilities combined with behavioral sciences to make sure that whatever the challenge is, and whether it's a big industrial challenge or a social challenge or a technical challenge, we make sure that we are bringing the best expertise from around the world together and focus it on uh, solving a problem that works and developing a solution that works for the people who end up needing that solution, if that makes sense.
0: Okay, so that that sounded like the the most important part uh, for you is to really understand what the the problem really is. Um, So is that what? Uh, distinguishes your company from uh, from others, or is it more like the interdisciplinarity and the the fact that you bring in so many different uh, stakeholders?
1: Um, we we have this methodology that forces us to bring expertise in from around the world, and so for instance, we've we've worked on uh, on a project with a big, large multinational um, FMCG company where. They were finding, uh, they were finding that they, their social license to operate was being uh, was being impacted because a lot of their products were sold with single-use plastics wrapped around it. And so you think about tomato sauce or soy sauce or you know, honey or Vegemite or whatever it might be, peanut butter, um, lots and lots of you know meat pies, sausage rolls, mm-hmm. um, you know, lots of these products that this business sells a, a lot of globally are wrapped in a piece of plastic that you immediately throw in the bin and mm. it's not possible. It's not biodegradable. And so they were seeing a really big hit to their bottom line because they were being told by big sporting venues or they were being told by bakeries or shopping centers that you're no longer able to sell your product here because we have a policy that says we can't sell anything that has a single use plastic on it. So mm-hmm. they came to us. And so we spent a lot of time understanding the different use cases We spent a lot of time understanding the different policy levers and thinking about what's the future look like for this business. And and something that we realized very quickly in that project was, you know, we're going to need to bring in, um, you know, polymer scientists, polymer chemists and people who have the technical knowledge and experience to come up with a new product, like a new material Mm -hmm. that is biodegradable and compostable. Um, and that can fit into this business's manufacturing processes, right? And there's probably one or two people in the world that fit that bill. And so we had to find them and then we had to have a a, a methodology that allows them to come into the process, get up to speed very quickly, provide the input that we need, um, do that in a way that manages the intellectual property and, uh, and, and can kind of feed into our processes. We also, in that project, we also realised that we're gonna to have to ask people to change their behavior. And so maybe the, um, the way that you get and put tomato sauce on your meat pie or the way that you get and, and drink your, your soft drink or whatever it might be needs to change. And so we went and got a behavioral scientist to come and help us develop some strategies around, well, how do we then implement this new product into market and help people understand the value of the change and why they should change. And, and again, we have to bring them in through a methodology that allows them to come in and provide input into the process at the right time.
0: Yeah. Wow. That's, that's really exciting. So, so uh, before you said that one of the strengths of your company is really that you bring experts uh, from like all fields together. So it also sounds like you're working with, with lawyers, for example, to like, get the intellectual property rights um, in, in place.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's a, like it's sometimes not the most enjoyable part of a project. <laughs> yeah. But but for you know big businesses, you know they they uh, they're going to struggle to justify the financial investment in you know in coming up with this new product uh, if they can't then get some type of protectable right to then mm-hmm. go off and sell it right. And, and whether you agree in intellectual property or not, that's just the reality of of how industry works at the moment. And so, yeah, absolutely we have, you know, whether it's lawyers um, doing that or, you know, economists doing modeling or supply chain people kind of mapping out supply chains, it's everything from like, we, we kind of end up having to bring in such a range of experts onto these, um, onto these, onto these projects that it, it really makes for interesting, interesting project teams
0: yeah, I was asking uh, about the like the legal uh, aspects uh, in it, uh, because I ha- uh, had read that um, one of the big obstacles to maybe like, for example, using the, the waste of, uh, of one company to um, as, like as the um, the the raw material for another company that uh, even though you could um, make a, a lot of of uh, connections in in this respect from which everyone would profit, but still uh, companies wouldn't do it uh, because they're afraid of um, like revealing secrets about their companies or and so I thought if you also uh, can offer this kind of perspective on on the on the solution uh, that uh, makes your solutions more credible or uh, comforts the, uh, the fears of, of the companies.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's, it's one, and that's one of those things, understanding that, and, and there are lots of, there are potentially lots of those little minefields that come up in projects. And, and we, we do this, we try to map out and identify those in those early project definition meetings where we're saying, well, what's the intent of the project? You know what are the parameters that we have to work within what are some of the limitations that you know for your business that we need to be aware of and so you know they might tell us you know exactly what you said and so we then that just becomes a design parameter and mm-hmm. we then need to factor that into the design of the solution so that it respects just the reality that that organization is operating within
0: sounds but, good um, and yeah, make, make you,
1: interesting conversations <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes you actually do have a pro- uh, project i had a project um where you you turn someone's like one company's waste into the product for someone else right, right? or the the raw material
1: yeah so-, so we we had a we were engaged by um some very large uh, mushroom farmers and um I didn't know a lot about mushrooms other than that. I like to, I like to eat them and, um, and part of, you know, the, the challenge that these businesses were facing was that they, um, that about one third of the, the mass that they grow, you know, so you think about all of this, you know, all the, all the mushroom material that is in the growing process, about one third of that is, is waste. And, um, and, and their challenge was like, we're basically just throwing a third of our product in the bin. And in some cases, they were even paying somebody to come and take it away and turn it into compost for them. And they said, look, it's, you know, the market is getting competitive. We can't afford to keep throwing away one third of our production. Mm-hmm. You know, can you help us turn it into a new value stream? And so, yeah, we had to work with people up and down that supply chain, work with those businesses, Recognize their, you know, some of their limitations around what can they do with that 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 material, mm-hmm. um, you know, because they can't totally change their production processes, and so it was, you know, all their harvesting processes. So it kind of there were quite a few pro- design limitations on in that project, and um, yeah, and we ended up working with them over probably six to nine months, I think, and uh, helped them identify and come up with a with a new value stream that I I can't remember but for one of these businesses created about 50 million dollars worth of added value for them and mm-hmm. so you know quite a significant amount of money that was once seen as a cost is now a revenue generator so that that was an exciting one but but again you know it required a whole pile of work with you know scientists and lawyers and economists and you know oh, lots and lots of other people uh to work out what's that what that you know solution could look like and how it would be implemented
0: okay so the, um so if we uh think of scaling and this up or if what would your recommendation um be to like us in denmark for example uh, i mean is is this a, a role model that uh, you create with uh, asymmetric inno- innovation or, yeah look
1: uh, i, I don't, look i, I, I I'm not, I'm not sure. I think like possibly, I I think one of the things that I, I, in terms of, um, one, one of the things that I've learned over the last few years of doing this is that, you know, I think a lot of people get get scared by complexity and they address complexity by simplifying it down to something that's like a linear solution. And so they, they kind of try to strip out all the bits that, that they can't solve, and then they just solve a little part of it. And, and that's something that I think is, that's a dangerous approach because the moment you start putting on the blinkers and you start ignoring all these other parts of this ecosystem and you're not thinking about how you're engaging with these different stakeholders and how they might engage with your solution and, you know, the different economic and policy and social and environmental and all the different levers that you get to pull, the moment you start ignoring those and focus on a single line of thought, you really limit the ability of that solution to be um adopted and be adopted uh in the long term so you know for that value to be enduring and so I, like i think um i think that is a mo- I think you know there's that is certainly a model that people uh whether it's within organizations or consultancies or governments need to certainly think about is 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 that you need to embrace the complexity and the way that you embrace the complexity is by recognizing that you can't do it all yourself Mm -hmm. uh, and that you need to have some methodology that allows you to bring in these experts and allows you to talk to the people that are experiencing the problem and work really closely with the sponsor of the problem and kind of have all of that in a big mixing pot. And, 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 um, and, and that's what gets you to a solution that, that will deliver, you know, meaningful impact and enduring change.
0: Excellent. Thank you so much, David, for uh, being here once again. And uh, thank you all for listening uh, once again. And um, okay, bye-bye.
1: Thanks, bye bye. Thanks, Kristen. Bye.